Okay, we are rolling, and today we have Gabby Jones and Taylor Jones from Fat Fox Farms. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having us. It took us a second to do this, but the way we met was at the Dive Motel. You guys were running that little food truck that they have that yes. they change, change out for mm-hmm. every show. Mm-hmm. And I had like this breakfast taco thing that you guys made. It had like bacon and eggs. and Cool. It was a pancake. Yes. Uh, and it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. And then we just got to chatting and... I wanted you guys to come on the podcast because I know nothing about farms at all. Well, here we are. Um, so we have been our a little small farm uh, since we moved out to Bellbuckle about seven years ago. And we are predominantly vegetable farmers, um, but are looking to expand into chickens and quail, actually, we're thinking about. Um, a few different animals, goats, possibly in the future. But for now... Uh, just veggies, but that's a lot to do in itself. Yeah, so so we don't grow pancakes or bacon or any uh, stuff that so you. So it's ate. not it's not a pancake farm. <laughs> no, no. That, was just, <laughs> that was just what we were doing at the time. Well, and we have really On the off season. We've expanded, um, and Taylor's kind of our cook. He's always um, canning and fermenting stuff, uh, experimenting with different ways to preserve things, and this idea of doing these farm-to-table pop-ups kind of came out of just excess of produce at the end of the season. And we were like, we've got so much stuff right now. What's one of the best ways to utilize all of it? And we really like to feed our community. We do a lot of our local farmers markets and try to get good organic produce out to everybody because it's a bit of a food desert. Um, We have our farmers market, and that's really the lifeblood of produce in our area. Is that, is that on the farm that you have that, or you um, go somewhere else? We go into town, into Bellbuckle proper. <laughs> we live uh, out on the farm end, so we drive about five minutes into town, and we also do one um, in Christiana by Miller's Grocery on Sundays. Um, so where geographically is Bellbuckle, like, to Nashville? Like, how far away is it? It is about an hour south of here, off 24. Okay. So if you head towards Chattanooga on 24, it's literally about halfway in between Nashville and Chattanooga. Okay. Okay. Going toward Bonnaroo, Manchester. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Just a little short of Bonnaroo. Nice. Um, So was like owning a farm always a life dream for you? Did you have a background in growing or anything like that? Um, So I'm talking a lot. I'm talking over Taylor. But I grew up loving plants. I was always outside. We had an herb garden when I was little. And then my um, aunt owned a flower shop down the street. So I worked for her, took care of all the house plants in her shop. Um, And when I got to college, I just kind of fell into plant and soil science. So I've just always enjoyed um, environmental sciences and especially botany. Plant and soil science kind of involves a lot of different factors. So it's not just botany. It's also agronomy and entomology. Um, What's study agronomy? Of, uh, agronomy is the study of soils. Okay. And then entomology is the study of insects and bugs. Um, and a little bit of meteorology. You know, you've got to watch your weather. It's very important when you're growing any crop. You Especially can... in Middle Tennessee. Yes. Uh, yeah, this being, spring... being a farmer is a scientist. Uh, like, I had no idea. 
all the Until time. Until I married a scientist. <laughs> I know. I always joke. I'm like, people think farmers are just farmers. But I'm like, you kind of have to be a bit of a scientist, especially with your soil, your pH, um, all of it, uh, keeping it uh, active with the biome of the soil, the rhizomes, the mycorrhizae, uh, of breaking down all this organic material. So you want to keep your soil healthy. So it's just a constant learning experiment where all the variables are always changing. But it's fun. <laughs> so I imagine it can change season to season, yes. the quality of the soil. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I also imagine sometimes like, oh, this is like this soil is perfect for us growing tomatoes this year or mm -hmm. growing squash this year or something specific like that. Yeah. Right. It, um, you really do. So we are... Uh, operation we do kind of what I call a dinner garden where you have a lot of different items you can basically make dinner out of everything you can pick out of the garden in a day I can make dinner he can <laughs> and so um, we have a lot of variety some farms will do a few things well you know they will do one large crop or a mono crop um, especially the big farms. That's typically what they do. They do corn, they do soybeans, they do one large thing, lots of acreage. We do small, um, sustainable, um, using like biodynamics to where you rotate the crops and you incorporate compost and things like manure to keep the, the soil active. But you have to rotate your crop families in order to not deplete the soil in certain areas because once that soil becomes more depleted it takes longer to get uh, from seed to harvest everything will take longer because it's just expending more energy to try to grow in an environment that's not completely ideal so why is it that you have to rotate it like what is it does it drain the soil of certain do certain vegetables drain the soil of certain nutrients yes most definitely and um, so the summer, we always call them heavy feeders. So they pull a lot of, especially nitrogen, out of the soil. All plants um, need certain macronutrients and certain micronutrients. And the three macronutrients are like the ones you will see on every fertilizer bag, and they're always in the order of NPK. So nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. And they will have ratios of whatever the mix is in your fertilizer so things like tomatoes and peppers and eggplants are our heavy feeders they deplete the soil of a lot of nitrogen um, corn does too so like in the midwest where we have a lot of corn it's uh, heavily depleting the soil by not which they have a rotation system as well but when you're growing that much in mass it's going to quickly deplete your soil so you want to rotate your families um, they all will use different nutrients in different ways. And then certain things like root crops will actually pull nutrients from deep out of the soil up to the top to make it more available for the next set of crops you grow there. Interesting. Okay, so root crops, when you say root crops, what kind of vegetables are those? Um, so carrots, parsnips, uh, potatoes are a type of root crop, but your classics are like carrots, something that goes deep down into the soil. And it will pull things um, and make it more available. So you want to put that in ahead of, like, say, tomatoes. So you can do your carrots in the spring, 
And then leading into summer, you can do your tomatoes in that place. Um, because it pulled up all those right. nutrients. Um, and you just want to vary the families. And it also has to do with pests. Um, you want to not plant squash in certain locations more than two seasons. Because everybody that has grown squash in Middle Tennessee can tell you squash bugs are a nightmare. Once you get them, your squash are pretty much done. They'll take over. They are a type of um, boring beetle. So they bore through the stem and suck all the nutrients out of the plant. Uh, so things like that will become accustomed to wherever you're planting. So they will uh, overwinter in the soil. They will lay eggs in the soil. So if you don't rotate where you're at in the garden, um, you'll have more issues each year. You have to spray more. But you can also do companion planting, where you plant things beside each other that help each other out. So if you plant dill beside your tomatoes, um, it will attract ladybugs, and those eat all kinds of different pests that your uh, crops can have, like aphids, um, scale, um, different, you know, things that can get on your crops and decrease production by quite a bit. You'll lose quite a bit if you get infestations of things. Are there any bugs that are like you want to see in your garden at all? Yes, most definitely. Uh, ladybugs are great. They're generalist carnivores, so they eat all kinds of other bugs. Um, they're great to have around, and I always laugh because people think they're, like, really cute. And I'm like, they love to eat everything. Uh, praying mantis, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> do they eat everything, too, or are they They do, too. They, they will eat pretty much anything they can get a hold of, and they're great hunters. They um, are great for eating worms, so... There is a specific worm that attacks your tomatoes. It's called a hornworm, a tomato hornworm. There's these videos of them online eating them like a corn on the cob. And so I'm like, go little uh, praying mantis, you're my best friends, because I hate those worms. They're terrible. Um, spider's not a bug, but spiders. And... Spiders help too. Yeah, they'll catch things. Um, there is a parasitic wasp that is great if you can find them. These, so it is called Incarcia formosa, and it will actually lay eggs on these tomato hornworms, and the eggs will hatch on top of it and eat the worm. That's some alien shit. Yes, it is. Bugs are aliens. Like it's yeah. first I say it all into the, the world. But yeah. You this big worm to feast on. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm talking so much. That's <laughs> fine. I don't... I'll talk forever about bugs, but they are. They I are definitely. I don't know the scientific name of a worm or a whatever that lays eggs on a worm, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But yes, they are definitely something out of this world. Um, I got very much into IPM in college, which is Integrated Pest Management, and it's just um, basically learning the life cycles of bugs and how they eat and how uh, the methods of controlling them, and they're they're tricky. I had a teacher in the seventh grade and her whole thing was bugs. Like she was super mm. into it. It was my science teacher and she had this, um, like this terranium thing full of cockroaches. Oh yeah. And on the first day of class, she pulled out one of the cockroaches and put it in her mouth. Hmm. And when you're in the seventh grade, you know, everybody just has a big reaction to it. But I had to do this whole project. I can't even remember what kind of bug it was on, but you had to make like, 
on that proto iMovie from 2004. You had to make yes. like a slideshow and then put relevant music into it. You know, like if you did it on flies, you had to put like fly me to the moon or some, mm-hmm. something like that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, th- that was always a specific memory I, I had from school. Um, maybe the only thing I actually learned the entire time I was in school. I, I was not a, not a good student, <laughs> but I digress on that. When did you get the farm? Um, so we... It, it, we uh, found the property through a family friend. I went to school out in Bell Buckle, actually, and uh, grew up with his kids. And so we were just kind of looking for a space. We really didn't plan this, to be quite honest. It's just kind of all naturally evolved. Um, but once we got out there, um, we were just like, this is such an amazing piece of property. We need to be utilizing it more need to be taking advantage of all this space we have. And with where I was at work, I always bring home plants. Our house is always full of something. I've always got a project going on. So I was like, we just need to expand on what we've got going here. Um, We are looking to build a greenhouse this year. Um, That's our next big project in the books. What would you put in the greenhouse? Um, We would grow, I would actually like to try to grow certain things that don't grow in our zone. So, avocados. uh, Yeah, well, we would like to try avocados, more citrus. That's more for me, yeah. So, the the cook. Yeah, yeah, Taylor is our cook, so he's always like, can we grow this? (laughs) Like, maybe. I would say you can grow anything anywhere. It just depends how much money you want to spend. (laughs) Um, But it would be more for uh, seed starting and, overwintering production so growing things in the winter like tomatoes and peppers and things that you know you can't do out of season uh, I'd also like to try to do citrus um, because there is a thing called a hardiness zone map so when you buy any plant it'll say HZ which is the hardiness zone that's where it can grow and it's typically classified by the lowest temperature the plant can stand um, so us here in Tennessee, we're in zone. It's changed in the past few years. It used to be 7A. Now I think we're 7B. So what is what is that ranking system, though? So does that mean it like it, there's plants that can withstand higher temperatures now? Yes. Okay. So and the climate is like changing in t- middle Tennessee. It has. Yeah. It actually has. And I went... Um, climate is changing. It's very much changing. Yeah, Every year it gets the, a little wackier. <laughs> um, but yeah, it has changed, I think, in the past three years now because I've had to like retool my brain <laughs> because I teach children as well. So I'm spitting out that fact and I'm like, 7A. And I'm like, no, now it's 7B. <laughs> but that means um, it has gotten a little warmer in this region. So it's affecting certain things. And even down where we live, it's always slightly different than even up here. Yes. Just an hour, yeah. an hour north. But yeah, it's definitely, um, so every crop has a temperature range. So right now we've got garlic in the ground. It can last up to negative 30 degrees. Wow. So you can grow it, you, you plant it in the uh, late October and you harvest it in, we harvested it last year in June. So it's a long haul crop. Um, but yeah, it can last all of those temperature ranges. And then there are things that are called cold crops, 
like your cabbages, broccoli, cauliflower, they can last up to 32 degrees. If you have um, some row covers, you can do them even lower. I've had them last through 15 degrees in the winter. Uh, and then your summer crops and a lot of your solanaceous crops, so your sun-loving stuff, loves it hot. So peppers, tomatoes. Um, so certain parts of the world can always be in production of those things. South America is a big region for a lot of stuff just because of that. A lot of cut flowers too. But yeah, every crop, every plant has a temperature it can withstand and some can stand pretty cold. Yeah, that's outside. surprising to me. You know, like it's funny to think about the context of American food because everything is so mass produced here now. Yes. And we have no connection with our food. And I'm someone who is guilty of that myself. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, we all do. Oh, yeah. And my nine to five job, that's what I do is I work with the uh, Murfreesboro City Schools. I run the farm to school program. So all the we have 13 schools in the district. They all have a school garden, two hydroponic grow towers and a little greenhouse. And so that's awesome. We grow food uh, crops from seed, then we plant them in the gardens. We uh, have them help us take care of them. We harvest it and then we serve it through the cafeteria. And then we do lessons and different educational stuff along the way with the kids. Um, I had first grade help me plant spinach, and then they helped me pick it, and then they got to eat it. So they, I was like, so you know how to grow spinach now? And they're like, yeah. So I'm like, yes, check. <laughs> yeah, but, that, that's honestly really cool. You know, I, I, it starts with like teaching children that, you know, yeah. I, like I was born in 91 and there was no talk of any of this when I was a kid. Like, oh, no. No. Like, they were telling us, eat as much greens as you can. Right. Just shit like that, Just you the know? most, like, general advice. Yeah, yeah. They're like, we know this is healthy. Eat that. <laughs> yeah. And it, then it changes. What were oh, you going to yeah. say? I was going to say, it helps to show them how it's grown, because then they have an interest that they didn't have before, and then they, they put it in their mouth. Like, they're like, ooh, I wonder what this tastes like. And at least that's what you found out in a bunch of other oh, yeah. educators. Have People found will out. tell me all the time, they're like, kids won't eat that. I'm like, yes, they will. My kids they will just eat have to all have a relationship. They get excited about it. And it's not just, I mean, it's implementing it at that age. But I say, don't be ashamed about like not knowing where your food comes from. Because I talk to so many people that don't it's know where their thing. food comes from. And it's just the mentality, especially nowadays where everything is so instant and we think of it in the grocery store, you don't think of all of the process of where it came from and how it got to the grocery store. Yeah, and our main foods are not native foods either. Like We have a lot of shipping across country and from other countries. And, and cows aren't American. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of... Chickens aren't American, well, and those, we, are, those are our main foods. Well, uh, American is deer, turkey, fish. You mean native. Yeah. Yeah. You mean like native species. Rabbits. So it's, um, it's just a lot of extra shipping and, uh, it shows up at the grocery store and it's there. And so you don't at necessarily. At least it used to. You're right. We've had a lot of issues lately. Yeah. We've had issues at the schools. Like we can't get a lot of things shipped just because lack of employees right now so there's just containers sitting places and nobody to ship it so they'll order for the cafeteria 
say, 300 items, and they'll get 190 of them. So mainly the things that are missing are vegetables because they can't trust that shipping process right now. And that's a big, uh, a whole scientific study is preservation of crop. So some things you can pick early and force ripen, like a tomato. Um, but you can't do that with everything especially things that have to be refrigerated, things like lettuce and bagged spinach. I mean, that's a huge crop. Um, any kind of tomato, especially. But our food isn't necessarily grown for taste or nutrition. It's grown to be shipped anymore. So people, yes. I feel like, will have to have more of a connection with their food because the future will be smaller and local. It will have to be. Um, just for accessibility, and being able to get actual nutrition to people, not prepackaged everything. Yeah, there's this um, this guy Diamond Dallas Page. He was a wrestler in the '90s. Yeah, um, but he has um, DDP. Yeah, DDP. He has <laughs> a yoga program called DDPY, and I've watched Nowhere. a bunch of videos with him. And he talks about how if it is in a package when you buy it, then it's a product. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I still I still eat bullshit, you know. I'll I do still too. eat chocolate. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, we do too. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about that cuz there's just no relationship in at least the developed western world with our food or our conscious like idea of where it comes from, especially when you think about meat production and stuff mm -hmm. like that too. There's such a major disconnect. Oh yeah. Cuz like very few people in the world, like I've never met someone who's like yeah, I hate animals. I don't like any kind of animal. Like, I want to kick them. I want to beat them. Like, people don't... Most people aren't like that. Most, yeah. But it's... The other side of that is... Is we all love animals, but we also eat them. And there's certain animals we won't eat that are eaten in other parts of the world. Right. You know, whether it's dog or cat or any of... Thing Hor like that. Horse is a big one. Yeah, horse, That's yeah. actually a big issue. <laughs> Really? How so? Um, so, in America, it's illegal to slaughter horse for consumption. Um, so, the if you have a old horse or a lame horse or a dangerous horse, um, people have to either take them, if they put them down, they have to bury them or they have to take them to a processing plant in either Canada or Mexico. And so, there's a lot of abandoned horses that they have issues with especially it's a it's a big problem in Tennessee because we have a lot of horse country here we have a lot of uh equine activities all all across the board either dressage or trail riding or walking horses is really big in Shelbyville so you end up with kind of a lot of animal abuse just out of oh we can't afford this horse anymore oh um, shit. they're very expensive, expensive you to know? do the right so thing yeah people will just abandon them whereas in countries like france like france you can slaughter horses for consumption and so we think about it we're like oh we don't eat horses but by not having those slaughterhouses here it creates kind of an animal cruelty problem yeah. as far as which is counterintuitive yeah. yeah so it's like neither is good but this is worse for the horse overall it's, this is a touchy issue for a lot of people because, you know, we think of them like a dog. We think of them like more of a companion animal. Yes. Um, but I think of all of them as my companion animals, oh, yeah. even our, like, even like 
consumption animals, but you give them the best life you can. Yes. Yeah. And that's the point. It's to do it responsibly. And it is sad when you're like, okay, if we want a chick, you know, if you live, you know, off the grid and you eat your own chickens and you grow your own vegetables, you have to slaughter that chicken. Yeah. So it is a lot of responsibility and it's sad, (laughs) you know. I always say, I don't know what we're going to do when we get animals because they're all going to be my pets. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to have to stop myself from doing that just so my heart doesn't break. Yeah, that would, be, that would be hard because it's like not only do you have to put the animal down um, in order – you have to butcher it and then you're going to eat it. And then this is a creature that you saw every day that you had a connection with. That you fed and you took care of and yeah. So, I mean, but I feel like – that type of person is the best person to do that job. Yes. You know, to sure. have that responsibility because your heart is in it for that animal. Um, but meat consumption in America, I feel like will change in the future. There's a lot more plant-based options now for a lot of different like commercial meats. Like uh, Burger King has the impossible burger now. Yeah. That's crazy to me. I didn't think that would, ex- I didn't think I'd see anything like that. It was actually like, getting footing you know in my lifetime but how we consume meat is just so much like we overproduce especially chicken um out where we live there's a lot of tyson farms and those birds live miserable lives they do like they definitely do they just load them up with hormones right and like stick them all like one on top keep them very yeah contained they're rolling down the road and a big old trailer all packed in there and you can see them just feathers sticking out of the outsides. It always makes me sad because they'll, it will be the shape of a tractor trailer, but it's just open cages. And so the chickens are just traveling down the road. I'm like, those birds are so stressed. I know how stressed out they probably are, but it's because of this mass consumption of that. We need, you know, everybody wants to eat meat if they want it three times a day. Yeah. So they have to produce for that. So I say this about vegetables too. If we do want to live like more sustainably and more thoughtfully, things will have to be more seasonal. Things will have to be more special. You know, you don't eat it all the time. You don't eat it every single day, especially things like cattle, you know, big product, things that require a lot of space for production. So it's just like we'll have to retool kind of how we think about food yeah, and, and availability of food. That's, because, that's really cool to me, but like yeah. everybody else, it's, they're like, no, I'd, I'd like to have what I want when I want it. And to me, it's like I can drive an hour or so down the road and have a different experience, different type of cuisine, different protein different vegetables whatever they're growing and producing down the road so then you can take many vacations (laughs) wherever you're like wherever you're going is a different experience a different home different different people different Different food food. and i always use uh like strawberries as an example i'm like we can buy strawberries any time of year if you walk into the store but strawberry season is typically like where spring is going into summer. So like mid to late April into almost June, you'll get strawberries. And that's like the booming period. 
then after that, they kind of peter out. They'll put some out here and there, but not like they will during that time. And France actually has like a strawberry, they like celebrate it. They're like, it's strawberry time. Um, but now you can get them any time of year, anytime you want them. And I don't think they taste good in the middle of winter. Nobody does. Um, they're mostly hothouse grown or from a different part, a different hemisphere. So they've been picked more green and force ripened uh, during shipping and storage before they get to the actual market. So it's just not a quality, you know, people don't know what things actually taste like a lot anymore. Because they've been genetically altered in order for them to be shipped and for them to last longer so they can be sold. Right. And sometimes it's not even genetically. They'll just alter the environment so much uh, that the produce uh, doesn't break down. So like with apples, that's a big example everybody likes to use. Most apples in the store were picked last season, and they are stored in uh, containment centers where they're basically on wire racks, dark, cool, uh, I think it's high humidity for apples, lots of airflow, and that's causing it to where uh, the structure of that fruit won't break down. It won't start to... Uh, break those bonds down and make them into sugars, which breaks the fruit down even more. So it's basically just stopping that uh, decay process by just u- manipulating the environment. Interesting. Yeah. We, which and we do weirdly, a lot. the decay process makes it taste sweeter. So yeah, really? it's it a will. better tasting fruit if you let so, it break down. I'm like, science time. All fruits and vegetables store energy as sugars. And once they have, you know, filled all of those needs for sugars, they will start to store them as starch, as a complex sugar. Um, So smaller veggies, smaller fruits are going to be sweeter. The bigger the veggie, uh, it's going to be more starchy. Uh, So people will show me like giant zucchinis they grew. And I'm like, that zucchini probably doesn't taste very good. (laughs) But you make zucchini bread out of it. Yep, you make zucchini bread out of that one. Or um, so when the plant is trying to basically keep itself young, <laughs> it will start to break those starch bonds because it needs that energy. And it's basically, I say it's like it's trying to hold the walls up. I mean, you think about an apple that's been sitting too long, it's kind of like wrinkly and shriveled. Yeah. So um, once those bonds start to break and it can't hold the pressure you know to keep itself nice and crisp anymore uh those sugar bonds are actually going to uh speed up the decay process and allow for different uh bacteria and things to start eating the sugar and break down the fruit or the vegetable so it's kind of like a self-destruct it's like okay i didn't get eaten in the proper time now I'm going to decompose myself. So where can apples, can they be grown in Tennessee at all? Or is this, yeah. is, okay. They can. And so when I say all this about like the storage and the, all of this preservation, think of all the energy that we're expending you, to do that. And the space and the time and energy when we could be, you know, growing things seasonally and getting them to people locally. Well, that's another thing. Tell them. Even though, even if apples are grown here, 
they still will get packaged and stored and won't get sold back to us where it was grown till next year for for whatever reason. So how long do they hold these apples for? Almost a year. Almost a year? So you're yeah. eating an apple that's big. Almost a year old. Picked a, over a year ago. Well, and they ship them to get waxed. Ago. Which we they can never do them. that at the farmer's market or... You, you, oh, no. You'd get our compost. You <laughs> wouldn't get food. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're shipped mainly just for how they look. So they want to wax them. They want <clears> to <throat> do this to them, make them all perfect and shiny. Because when you see, I mean, you can pick through them, but most apples in the grocery store are all pretty perfect and identical. They look beautiful. Right. Yeah. And a lot of it is for that. Yeah. So it's like for sustainability and everything going forward, it's just going to have to be smaller and more local. Because, yeah, we grow apples here in Tennessee. There's some great Amish communities um, that grow and do big harvests uh, starting in the fall. Those are my favorite. Like, you can go buy, like, huge <laughs> quantities of apples. I've had a fresh-picked apple before. I grew up in Maine, and there's there was a lot of apple orchards mm. up there. Oh, yeah. And they're kind of a little more sour right. when you get them right from a tree and you're just like I'm going to eat this right yeah. now. Right. Yeah, yeah there's they have, they have more flavor uh all around just But also different um, flavors. That's a that's another thing with like the decay decay process if you want to call it that by letting it sit a little longer it will become sweeter. So the flavor profile changes, you know. But it's just such a better quality product. Um it's just the difference to me is indescribable. Like when people will say like, taste this tomato and then I taste the one that I grew and they bought theirs in the store, there's no comparison, um, in my opinion. We have like this double-edged sword right now in America with with our food supply because we can technically feed everybody here. Yeah. But there's a dark side to that. You know what I mean? Like Like with everything. But that's what's interesting to me too is that we have the capability – maybe for the first time in human history where we have enough for everyone. And it's just a matter of actually a being able to get it to everyone and then B what cost does it come at? You know, like we talked about like the factory farming of animals or like changing these vegetables and fruits and stuff in a way that's not necessarily natural. Right. And it also, there is a big problem, especially in veggie production, where, again, with how things look, the aesthetic of it, if it's not, uh, they're all, everything has a different grade. It's typically like A, B, C, or one, two, three. Um, and so a number one or an A will be the prettiest and best. That one's going to market. Everything else on commercial, this is on commercial farms. Everything else that doesn't meet that standard, they won't even pick. Um, they will, and if it's on the ground, it's, it's definitely not going in any kind of production. So you'll look down the lane and it's just be full of apples or full of oranges that didn't quite meet that number one or a standard. Um, and they won't donate that food because it costs them labor and, you know, packaging and Isn't shipping. Isn't that a tax write-off though? I feel it like. It should be. Yeah. It should be. So there's a lot of different laws um especially large production like big companies that would be afraid to go against anything like that they aren't going to risk getting in trouble but that could all be donated 
you know, we definitely produce enough food to feed everybody. The problem is getting it to everybody. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know what the, uh, what the solution is. Cause it's like during the pandemic, you know, like that we've had obviously stuff like toilet paper shortages, which mm-hmm. was just caused by people bulk buying. Yes. <laughs> but I feel like education is such a big piece of food, diet, exercise, and health in general. And that's the one thing that the government doesn't really talk about. You know what I mean? Like they don't promote like for the COVID thing, like take some vitamin D, do this, Mm -hmm. do that. Try and be in the best health possible. That way, if you get COVID, you can beat it, you know? Right. It's not a conversation that's being had at all. No. And I feel like it's gaining, I I feel like there is kind of gaining some want for that. Um, People are looking for different answers because a lot of things haven't worked for a lot of people recently. And no. yeah, um, that's, that's definitely the truth. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what do we need to change about this? What's not working? I and th- I feel like that's always the deal with farming. <laughs> what doesn't, what doesn't work? Okay. We need to fix that. I always see we're at this point where it's, uh, the pardon. Remember the Titans where coach Boone is like, we got to change the way we block. We got to change <laughs> the way we tackle we got to change the way we play the game. Not that they weren't good at football to begin with, but because of the adversity they were going up against, they had to change things to adjust to yep, a, a new game. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like that as, as an individual too, just in life. So why wouldn't it be that way as a, as a culture and as a society? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so when you first got the farm, was there a bunch of bullshit that happened that you had to like, fix last minute were you running around and i mean that's what i i always joke i'm like i do things that people would never do (laughs) like i'll be out in the rain like putting row covers on stuff but that's just farming in general yeah especially uh relying on the weather that's a huge just non-stop guessing game especially in middle tennessee yeah it's the weather's always so weird here um but yeah i just i think like such a big thing is like whenever you have those moments where shit isn't working out, you have to figure out what you have to do to change in order to mm-hmm. move ahead. And I, f- I feel like that's another conversation that we're not really having culturally. Right. No matter what it is, we're just like, I feel like everyone just got their hands up and they're like, yeah, I guess this is the situation, but no one is willing to offer solutions. And I can respect a person that is like, I have a solution, but I don't know if this is going to work. I can get down with that. Yeah. I mean, not I, everybody's going to be right all of the time. No. I think we have a solution and it does work because the two of us can, if the two of us can do it. And like she said, she works a farm to school program and she takes care of those schools by herself. No, well, at, my at schools. Your my schools. schools. <laughs> and that's like eight. No, four schools. Four schools. Okay. I have. I work with a team. I'm like, I gotta holler. You know, give them a shout out. Cause but the point is, really it's hard. more than one school, which yeah. is hundreds and hundreds of students. I don't know how many four schools. My is. biggest school has 900 students. So that's one person growing enough lettuce for four schools, and then she grows stuff at home with me. So we easily grow enough 
vegetables of all different types. Like she said, dinner. We grow our dinner for thousands and thousands of people probably. Well, and we do that. Not everybody has access to do that. But I tell the kids, you know, I have a lot of kids that live in apartments or spaces where they don't have a space to grow in the ground or raise bed or however you would do it. And I'm like, well, if you have a balcony, we can grow in a pot. You know, we can grow... A tomato plant. You can grow a tomato plant. You can grow spinach. Spinach is one of the most nutritious vegetables you can eat. Leaf crops, especially. And And like like, like she was saying, they have the hydroponic towers there at the school. And those things make make it where you can grow anywhere. You can. They're really neat. Um, They're a self-contained system with lights and... Uh, base with water and nutrients and also used yeah. for weed operations yes i have had so many people ask me about that i'm like you could not grow weed in here <laughs> do you have any high schools uh no i okay. don't no. i feel like that They're would be a all young kids in, right. in high school i've had adults at the schools ask me about it <laughs> i won't name, name <laughs> names but yeah i've had they're like you grow weed in that i'm like you couldn't because of the structure of the plant <laughs> like it, it wouldn't fit in these little nitty pots um, but yeah, this, you know, when you're thinking of like, how do we change things? I'm like, teach people to grow something for themselves. Mm-hmm. Cause then at least they can grow that for themselves. If they can grow themselves a little crop or a little tomato or spinach, you can feed yourself to some extent, or you at least have the knowledge of what it takes to do that. Um, which most people don't have. Most people don't know where things even come from half the time. And it's, I'm one of those it's people. Not, it's not anything to be ashamed about. It's like most people don't because it's not, I don't want to say it's something that they don't want you to see. It's like, don't look at the man behind the curtain. <laughs> but it's just not publicly yeah. uh, made available. I don't want to say made available. You can learn about it if it's you want to. It's just not a it. sexy topic. Nobody cares yeah. about yeah. <laughs> it. It's literally called fruit and vegetable marketing. Yeah. I had a class, and that's what it is. It's okay. You're growing bananas in Costa Rica. Do you have to build a road to get them get a truck in to get them out to where they need to be shipped from? It's literally all of the infrastructure and then science of preservation behind getting a crop from the field to the grocery store. Yeah, that's agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is a whole big process. A lot of different hats. So for us, we're small. It's just me and him but right now. We have now. to figure that stuff out too for yeah. whatever we're doing. Farmer's market, you know, selling at farmer's markets is hard for the vegetables especially. In the summertime, it's the hottest time of the year. And to have most of your stuff out, it's degrading the quality. So you're like, we got to sell it because I don't want to have to take it. It's not going to be the same when we get it home. It needs to go somewhere. Wow. Um, so it's something that we have to think about all the time, especially when in the summer, I always say it's just like the best kind of chaos where stuff is just coming in nonstop. <laughs> like you pick every day. Every day there's at least like a 20-pound box of something we brought up from the garden or oh, 10 new watermelons or whatever it is. It's just nonstop coming in. So you got to do something with it. Well, you guys are really fostering the kind of change that you want to see. Yes. And yes. we're trying to be that for our little community. Like yeah. we don't do, mainly because we are smaller, but we don't do giant farmer's markets. We're trying to do things where people need it. And don't have access. So Bell Buckle is um, near and dear to my... Like, I love Bell Buckle. 
I went to high school there. I have a lot of friends there. We've lived there seven years now. Um, very invested in our little community. There's no real grocery store in town. Uh, you have to go to Shelbyville. You have to go to Murfreesboro or Tullahoma, <laughs> wherever. It's the about, big city. Yes, yeah. going into town. Yeah. But it's about at least 20 to 30 minutes. Away from all those different areas. Either way. We're like in the middle. Yeah. So people maybe that don't have the ability to go into town all the time definitely aren't going to have access to fresh, especially organic produce. So I'm like, if we can help to feed those people too, um, you know, all the better. So we've got more than we can eat. <laughs> and a plan for the future is to... Uh, kind of do what she does at the schools teaching kids but teaching kids adults and all ages and um either together or separate throughout the summer as a summer camp option out at out at and out at the farm we'd want to get more land for this uh for this endeavor but it it's definitely a really cool land to to do this and to have a camp and people would love to learn like that's definitely in right now. People are paying to go learn how to farm, which we're like, yeah, you can do work on our farm if you want to pay <laughs> yeah. us to do well, work. <laughs> even just friends and fam- you know, just people I meet, they'll be, I'll tell them what we do, and they're like, we'd love to come help. Just call me. <laughs> like they'll give me their number. You they're say like, that. call me anytime. <laughs> oh yeah, I always joke. I'm like, I'll put you to work. Yeah. <laughs> what is an average day like on the farm? Like during peak season? Like what time are you waking up? Uh, what are your responsibilities and duties? Well, we're we're kind of mindful about that in different ways than most people. Most people are picking because they have to. They're just getting out there when they have to. We kind of think like... Pick smart. Pick, well, picking stuff at certain types of the day can be stressful on the plants because that's whenever it's taking in its energy or that's when it's whatever. Whatever it's, it's doing, it, it might be too hot, depending on the day, yeah. Um, but so, we typically... I always, in the summer, the sun is up in the 5 a.m. time frame. So I'm up a little before the sun, and it's out till some days it seems like, I know it's not this late, it seems like it's like 9 o'clock at night when it sets finally. Um, But especially peak season, you don't want to be out past noon picking. So you want to get up and get out while the weather's cool. You know, that's the coolest time of the day. That makes sense. Um, and it's better on the crop too. You're not stressing it out when it's trying to, you know, do its thing. Do its thing in yeah. the middle of the hottest part of the day. But uh, we'll typically get up, pick first, um, first thing in the morning, bring everything in, sort it, <laughs> which is always a big to do. Um, and we have a temperature controlled area in our house where we keep everything. Uh, to keep it as fresh as possible. Is it like a giant fridge room? Um, pretty much. It has an extra air conditioner in it. It has a uh, window unit in there. So we try to keep it about 50 degrees. And that's the one thing um, a lot of people don't know. Most things don't need to be refrigerated, refrigerated, especially if it's coming in fresh out of the field. Um, tomatoes are the biggest one. I'm like, don't put your tomatoes in the fridge until they start to, you know get a little soft on you yeah but you want to keep them uh around room temperature as best you can until it's time to put them in the fridge Uh, but 50 degrees is about the magic temperature it will keep everything nice and fresh for about a week and a half 
um, before we have to start processing it in some way. Yeah, if we don't sell it by a certain point, we can it or pickle it or so on. The, the, every part of the buffalo, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're, you're Nothing trying to make sure, yeah, there's no waste. And that's, yeah. it's a beautiful way to preserve your vegetables because you're adding flavors to your vegetables to keep them fresh. Like vinegar and other stuff like that. And then also if you're canning them with tomatoes with peppers and onions and garlic, then you're just able to add that to a sauce later. You didn't have to cut out all that up. So you've saved yourself some time for cooking later, as well as preserved all those vegetables and add it's in flavor country um, <laughs> while it's in that can or mason jar. jar. <laughs> yeah. We say can, but everybody says can, but everybody's using jars. <laughs> it's jars. It's jar. J- yeah, it's it's jarring. The old con- uh, process of canning, which Taylor has really gotten into. Um, we started selling those products as well. Uh, but they, like, we'll be eating canned tomatoes way into the winter. Yeah, or yeah. We green still beans them. way into the winter. Yeah, we still have we're tons to from last season. Um, again, now it seems like we're about to start tomatoes again. Yep, I've already got them all started. So, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I used to hate green beans when I was a kid because I only had... Like the uh, the Jolly Green Giant green beans. Yeah. <laughs> and then the first time I had fresh green beans, I was like, what is this? This is an entirely different vegetable now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And just having that exposure. Like, I try to do that for the kids all the time because, you know, certain things that we eat that's produced commercially, like, especially broccoli, frozen broccoli, a lot of places, you'll get, like, stems, you know, chopped stems. If you're lucky, you get the florets. And most kids don't know what broccoli actually tastes like. Broccoli's good. And so I'll have them pick it and eat it. And they're like, oh, I like how this tastes. And I'm like, yes. So now you like it. It's a great flavor. Um, But yeah, that exposure is definitely, I don't know where, I went on a bunny trail. (laughs) (laughs) Broccoli. Oh, you were, but yeah, Taylor with his canning and everything, that's a full-time job in the summer. Oh yeah. Big time. What is the process for that? Just chopping, chopping stuff to put it in the can. Uh, getting the different uh, mixtures vary depending on what vegetables and what flavor you want out of what you're canning. But you're just getting a percentage of vinegar, percentage of water, and then peppercorn or whatever you're adding, whatever flavors, uh, garlic cloves and peppercorn and. I don't, I can't think of anything right now. I'm like drawing a blank, but yeah, that I use uh, different things, dill seed and stuff. Um, with, we, with he pressure stuff. cooks. So it's a lot of, uh, or a water boiling. Bath. It's a lot of pressure cooking. It's a lot. What is of, pressure cooking? So, um, well, pressure cooking, you, f- you fill up the jars about halfway and it's in a, like a, a big can that seals and a large Dutch oven pot. You get it boiling and build up the pressure in there and it's it's sealed in there for a certain amount of time and then then everything's like uh your what your jars at a point where if you're going to open it you have to give it enough pressure and it goes and that, nice and that satisfying sound break yeah. the seal. And the the middle the middle shouldn't be popped up. 
if it's properly sealed, it shouldn't be popped up. Yeah. So this all sounds like you guys have a lot of moving parts and pieces. How do you stay organized? Do you have like journals upon journals filled with notes of like, we have to rotate this crop here. We have to can this. We're luckily both pretty organized, clean people. (laughs) So that's kind of just part of who we are. But it gets rough because <laughs> that is a lot of moving parts, like like you said. It's a, um, all the time, especially when things are like really going crazy. So I always make yeah. um, a layout of the garden. Like I always do a drawing of where everything is. And that way I can look year to year and see my rotations. I'm like, it's very old school in that way. I'm, there are tons of programs on your computer, online. The Farmer's Almanac has one where you can like, lay it out and print it out and all of this. Uh, I just draw it. But that way I can know my rotations and where everything needs to go for the next season. But Over the years, we've just created systems. Um, So it's been, you know, when you start off, you're learning. Um, (laughs) Trial and error. And and Gabby knows all the information right off the bat, as you can tell. (laughs) But that's... I don't know. Way different than applying it in practice. When you have land that's on a slope or whatever, you don't you don't know what you're dealing with. You got to get out there and see what the land is like. Dig into it and see if it's clay. See if it's dry. See what the land's like and and what you can grow in it. And if you need to mess with it um, and add nutrients to it with compost or whatever, but I keep, worm casting. I keep a pretty, I, I just use like a old spiral notebook. I just write down dates a lot. Yep. <clears throat> I'm a, I will just keep it as simple as I can for myself and get everything out of my brain that I don't have to remember, especially numbers, dates. Don't want to have to try to think about that later oh, in the season. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big thing, like especially as far as planting. Uh, if you want to say, okay, did I get my seed? Every packet of seeds will have an amount of days on it. Um, every crop is different. And that's from when you put it in soil to when you harvest it. So, like, uh, carrots are like 72 days. And so you want to know that date because you want to know if it took too long. You know, your nutrients are off. Oh, it took 85. Nutrients are way off. Yeah. Or water wasn't enough. Um, Interesting. Things like so that. So something like that could alter even the nutrition level of whatever the plant is that oh, it can yeah. provide. Most definitely. Yeah, your carrots could be a different shape too when they <laughs> come out. Like not like why, yeah, why are my carrots shapes, looking so they weird didn't get or this puny nutrient. or <laughs> or they came out yeah. with uh, this uh, on the top foliage. That means they're uh, deficient in this nutrient. That's but, the most complicated part, in my opinion, is growing things the way we're used to them being grown <laughs> like getting them the shape oh and, yeah getting them perfectly and, and getting them enough uh it's it's not meat it's vegetables but the meat of the vegetable that you're used to consuming that part has to be tended to a certain way with certain components to get it to look like that but a lot of it this is going to sound crazy and I do this with the schools I do it with the house I just know it a lot of it. So every day, Taylor's joking, but I'm constantly telling him new things. I'm like, oh, hey, go pick that. Hey, oh, go spray that. Oh, this needs to be covered. And I'm like, I'm like running around and as I see it, um, but I'll know the yeah. like 
as far as spray schedules. So we use all uh, organic controls as far as what we put on the plants for pest protection or disease protection. Um, so with any crop, you don't want to treat it once it's there. You want to prevent it because especially with a pest, once you see it, you're always going to be fighting it, especially with an organic control. So in things like that, like I had no, all the spray schedules in my head. I'm like, okay, I did this, uh, two weeks ago. I'll be ready for this next Friday. Um, so I've kind of, I'm like, I guess it's my, my, I'm like, this must be my calling. Cause I don't know how I keep it all organized, but I write it down too for reference if I ever have to, but a lot of it, I just can keep the spinning plates going. Because you're passionate about it. I just love it, yeah. Yeah, it's her thing, yeah. But yeah, I'll, I try to write everything down listen. as much as possible. <laughs> but in the middle of the season, things get crazy sometimes. So sometimes you don't remember to write everything down. Um, but She's like the Google for <laughs> everything. We I'm keep, just go we to her for a big questions. Calendar. I, I try to, uh, my phone is really helpful, especially for planting dates. That's my biggest one I like to keep up with. Mainly just to see how long it took to get harvest. Um, was it efficient? Because you are putting so much effort and time into it to get uh, the biggest profit out of it is to do it quickly. Uh, the longer it takes, the more money you're losing on it because the more resources you're using on it. So that's something as far as like efficiency you always want to think about. It's like, okay, dates are very important. So write them all down that you can. So if you're off even by a day, could it ruin a certain crop or something like that? Is it that sensitive? The weather can, most definitely. Um, oh, garlic and onions. Depending on the vegetable. Yeah. yeah, it depends on the vegetable. Some are a little more forgiving. Um, and it depends on the where you're growing. Yeah, but like, so with garlic, you don't want to water it basically the last month before you harvest it because it is forming the papery skin around itself. And once it comes out of the ground, uh, you need to cure it for a couple weeks and allowing everything to completely dry. So that's how it will preserve. So garlic will be, uh, if you cure it properly, last about six months, typically. Um, Interesting. So you don't want any water on it. That last month, it can rot your garlic. And that can be a big issue. Because so, it needs that papery skin for protection? Right. Um, it's basically sealing in nutrients and moisture with it. How long have we had the garlic that we have right now? Uh, we've had it since last season. Yeah. We've had it longer than six months, but they, you know, as far as shelf life, yeah. sellability, you want to say six months. Yeah, we stopped selling Storage it, but life. I, I still have a crate. That oh, I yeah, we still use it. It's still great. And, <laughs> and I, like Uncle Roger on YouTube, I use a lot of garlic. <laughs> Getting high off your own supply, basically. Yeah. That's the best part. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's the... what started us growing, is growing what we wanted. Uh, herbs, vegetables, um, everything I cook with, and what we love eating. And then it was just like, well, this is what we like, and it makes it easier for us to sell it, because we use it, and know how to preserve it, know what to do. So farmer's market started becoming kind of... Natural progression. And, and Yeah, natural for us. And talking to people, people could tell we had a passion for it. Definitely 
Gabby Google over here. But yeah, with with picking dates, I mean, a day can throw you off completely. Like certain things are very finicky. Like broccoli, um, so broccoli, cauliflower, they're flowers. Okay. That's another thing. It depends on what part of the plant it is and what you're trying to uh, pick it before. So with broccoli and cauliflower, if it gets too hot on you and you pick it one day too late, it could start to flower on you. And so if you leave broccoli in the ground, you don't pick it as a, what we see, what we see as a crown, um, it will put out these pretty little yellow flowers. They're gorgeous. I had no idea. Yeah. So when you eat broccoli, it's a flower. Wow. Me too. Like, and every vegetable has a pretty flowers that grow. Oh yeah. They're all different. They're all pretty. But it's not a good thing that you've gotten to that point. That's when it's putting energy into those flowers instead of what you eat. I yeah. guess you could eat the flower too, but but yeah, that's that is, a whole nother information. That's a whole thing group. with uh, nutrient loss. So if you're yeah, with you know timing of things, if you pick it, say just one day too late or two days too late, it's going to be putting that energy, like you said, into that flower, into a seed. Mm-hmm. It's going to be losing it out of the vegetable. So it's you know, quality of produce itself, is yeah. declined. So, Taylor, uh, your background is kind of in cooking. Was this something you grew up doing? I didn't necessarily grow up. I grew into cooking. Um, In high school, I had some friends that were into cooking. And I took culinary arts one and two, but it taught me how to do catering, not cooking. So, basically mass production in in a short term. So I never, I never learned like recipes from my grandmother or recipes from this one. Uh, that's what I'm seeking now. But um, it was more just like uh, learning as I go. And then I was a college student and it was cheaper to buy uh, a whole chicken than to, you know, go out and get a chicken sandwich. So I was learning how to make what I wanted to eat at home. <clears throat> started using cast iron skillets like a good country boy and uh I don't know um became something I was just getting better at not something that was natural but like once you learn techniques you apply them to everything and it it becomes neat trying to figure out things like Sherlock Holmes but cooking and same thing with gardening. It's an art form. They're, bo- they're both yeah. art forms. <clears throat> Depending on where you're growing, what you're growing, blah, like just so many factors go into it, and it's a whole different uh, puzzle piece. Yeah. I've really been impressed watching Taylor grow as a cook. I mean, he's worked in a lot of different kitchens. He worked at the Bell Buckle Cafe for a long time as a cook. Um, That's the only restaurant in Bell Buckle. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's famous. Every People famous. come from hundreds of miles <laughs> to do, eat though. there. Yeah. Um, and they have a big menu. So Taylor was always... Like, we heard you had good meatloaf. And it's like, well, it's not meatloaf day. Sorry. And they're like, we drove all the way to Flo- from Florida. <laughs> But he's Oops. really grown with just his passion with all of it, uh, learning flavor profiles, and he's just gotten a lot more skilled. So that's kind of where the farm-to-table pop-ups came out of. He was like, I want to cook for people. <laughs> he was like, I want to use all of our produce that and cook for people. So 
the one we did in November, that was the one where we didn't have a lot of produce available at that time. So we used our canned stuff, but we also tried to promote other local farms and other local small businesses. So we did a lot from Potts Meat um, mm-hmm. in Wartrace. Is it Wartrace or Normandy? It's Wartrace. Wartrace, but Pot, think, yeah. P-O-T-T-S, um, they're great. They do all kinds of meat production. They have fresh eggs, um, but they're a small local farm, and they have a little store. So we were yeah. like, yeah, we want to support them. You know, So it's not just about getting our name out there. We're like, support everybody around you, Because at the end of the day, it's about that, that idea mm-hmm. of the community-grown food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and most definitely. sharing it with people so they understand that you there's food and you're literally you know like in your own backyard that you can have access to if you can't get it at the store most mm-hmm. definitely and taylor has like really grown uh he gets inspired shopping there all the time but he's gotten uh very adept at like learning all the good little techniques how to make everything just right so i'm like you're like a a full-time uh we could do a food truck now. <laughs> we kind of tested it out at the dive. We were like, it was great. Can we do it with just two people? Well, because you have to have two. Three would be better. But we were like, no, we did it. You know, he made well, it happen. Well, farming all day and then prepping and thinking about what, how to make what I'm going to make for dinner and what do we need to use that we've grown, all that. Definitely is a lot, and my brain's gotten to where I can think about all those things, um, luckily. Still not very good, but... <laughs> you like, make it. You do, you do your thing. Utilizing, I was impressed with the, with the food that you made. So. Utilizing yeah. things and throwing a menu together to, uh, like on what we need to use. That's and seasonally, too. It's fun, but very stressful, like a stressful thing to jump into but yeah like I said it's like a it's a stressful mystery so it's it's fun but when you when you make it work it's excited it was it it turned out really well so it was uh it was exciting to make that happen and in the future like utilizing more uh traditional flavors is definitely in the in the works things that have been growing here since before the white man came in. <laughs> and, before all the settlers and everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and, and the thing, and uh, to go further, the things that you see just growing on the side of the road that you don't even know is edible or can may, be made medicinal or um, all that too. Just there's a lot to do once you've gone down this direction of uh lo- locally uh foraged or grown or items hunter gatherer yeah. yeah yeah what what's available in your area has once it becomes of interest to you then you then you've opened a huge door of things that we don't even eat or use anymore that is very interesting and it's like why not because it could be used for this 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 and this and this and there's so many things like that yeah yeah it's it's really a um a head trip you know because it's like what are we not like eating right now as human beings that were regular parts of our diet 
you know, when we, you know yeah. Oh, yeah. back in the day when we were cavemen or something like that. Right. And then the, it, it's also a thing that if you eat what's, what thrives in the area, the climate, where the, where you are, where you are, what affects your sinuses on a regular basis is affecting these things that have grown here. Like that has to deal with the same environment you have to deal with. So eating that, like that makes sense to me. It, it can kind of give you eating a natural that immunity helps you with your the way the way pollen. you deal with yeah that environment as well. You're eating something that has to adapt to the same environment to the you. same. Yeah, interesting. Well, there's lots of unutilized things. Like I always, uh, I love dandelion. That's one example. of those duh moments. It's <laughs> uh, it's like yeah, of course that Why makes complete sense. That? But until you said it, I didn't ever think about that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, dandelion is, everybody thinks of it as a weed, <clears throat> um, but every part of the plant is edible. You can eat the flower. Uh, it's typically used for like teas. You don't necessarily just eat it, but you can. Uh, the leaves are great. In, uh, you know, lots of restaurants use those in salads all over the place. And the root is edible. Um, so if you're lost in the woods, look for dandelion. So you get a lot of water and a lot of nutrients. It has a lot of potassium in it. So it's a very nutrient-dense thing that we just try to spray out of the driveway all the time, you know. But if you had to, you could live on dandelion for a minute. (laughs) So where can people find you at, social media-wise? How can they find your farm? Like, what can they get from your farm? How often are you in Nashville doing farmer's markets? That kind of a thing. So right now, we're on Instagram at Fat Fox Farm, uh, F-O-X, just all spelled normally. Um, and we're looking to branch out. We really would like to create a website so that people can order, but that's kind of in the works. Right now we're doing the Bell Buckle Farmer's Market. That's every Friday from 3 to 6. And then we are, uh, this will be in season. So farmer's market season typically starts in April and runs through September. Um, and we will also be at out in Christiana uh, across from Miller's Grocery every Sunday uh, from 11 till 4. So that's where we have been so far, but we really want to get into delivery. Um, We're looking, you know, if you're looking for bulk product, we're really, we like to work with people on what they need and delivery is better for the produce anyways. Um, So you can always message us, DM us on Instagram. Um, We also have our email fatfoxfarmtn at gmail.com. You can email us um, with any requests. And we try to, you know, fill, do what we can. We haven't really had to say no to anybody yet. But we are looking uh, in the future to do kind of more of a mobile farmer's market mobile and farmers. take it on the road, um, looking to be more in Nashville and Murfreesboro as well. Um, just because we're so close to Murfreesboro. So that's kind of our stomping grounds, too. Where you don't have to find us, we find you, yeah. But yes, um, <laughs> we have a lot in the works. Uh, so watch the Instagram for things that are upcoming. Like I said, we would, we're trying to get a website together where you can order our produce online, where it's all listed, quantities, what's available, what the cost is, and you can order it for delivery or pickup. Um, and we can continue to do farm to table things through that same that the the same uh Hub. process the yeah just whatever you need from us that we offer 
let us know and we work it out. So and we're very much still growing. Yeah. Um, but things literally quite literally. Yeah. But it gets bigger every year and we like to help. So, you know, reach out if you need something. Yeah, we're there. We're there to answer it. <laughs> awesome. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Yes. This was the most educational episode I've ever done. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> awesome. Veggie education. <laughs>